Welcome into another episode of the Musketeer Report podcast. Paul Fritschner, Rick Broing with you. And Rick, it's been a while since you and I have talked. You did a great episode with CapEx a few weeks ago talking about the TBT. And it's been there's been a lot that's gone on since you and I have gotten a chance to catch up. And there's been roster additions. Xavier's played a couple of games. They've gone down some water slides in the Bahamas. There's been a lot that's happened. So we got a lot to catch up on. First of all, Congratulations, Rick. You're a father. Uh, how's it all been in the last couple of weeks? Update the people. I know I've seen a lot of posts on the message board. How's it been? Um, well, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Not only has there been a lot going on in the Xavier world, but also I've had a kid. You've changed jobs. Like a lot of life stuff going on, too, in the last few weeks. That's why it's been a little uh, sporadic here in terms of our recording schedule. But uh, I think I'm getting to the point in terms of fatherhood where Everyone now is like, yeah, we've all had babies. We're over it. Move on, Rick. Quit telling us about your kids. So I will try to spare people all the details on this podcast, but I would like to just say thank you to everyone that's reached out. People have sent us stuff. People have sent us nice messages. And of course, there's been people on the board saying nice things. So I just wanted to thank everybody uh, in Xavier Nation who's, who's reached out, who's subscribed. I know people were calling me out on Twitter for posting that picture of me and Trey, but I mean, in all seriousness, that's what it is. Like your guys' money from subscriptions goes directly towards funding our family at this point. That I quit my channel 12 job. This is what I do now. So it really does mean a lot to us when you guys subscribe. Trey's a strong name. That's a great name. Thank you. I was pretty excited about it too. It's pretty fun. Yeah, that's a strong name. That's a very good name. Um, it, you, you mentioned the job just on my part. I, I won't go on about it too much, but I will say just because I had a couple of questions on it. Nothing that you all see as far as... Uh, Xavier content goes is going to change on my end as far as being the in arena host, being uh, co-hosting this with you, Rick. Uh, most of the external stuff that you see here uh, is going to stay the same on my end. There are going to be some things that you hear about the next few weeks, but I don't want to talk about all that now. We got a lot to catch up on here with Xavier, but just because there were a couple of questions on that, I at least want to get that out of the way that it, nothing should change as far as, as Xavier fans go and Xavier fans are concerned here for the next few weeks. Uh, but you'll all find out more about that later. All right, let's get into it. Xavier, uh, since the last time we talked, we're going to start off with the additions, the roster additions, before we get into the Bahamas and everything else. Xavier has added two international players. We talked so much about what the international recruiting pool was going to be like when Sean Miller got hired. We know his pedigree of hiring internationally. What was that going to look like when he came to Xavier? Well, in the last month, they have two now. It's Gitas Namikshaw. He's from Lithuania. 2023 transfer. We're still unsure right now how many years of eligibility. There, there's some question marks on his what's going to transfer over from European university to to American, how all that works and the credits and everything, if I understand that right. Yeah, I I, I would just tell people, look at his age. It got, you know, he sure. he's, looks like he's about junior going into kind of senior age. I would expect that he has one year of eligibility left going into this. Now, I think they'd like to get him more. They're trying to work through all those credits and find out where things stand and see if he might be able to get two years of eligibility. But as for now, expect him to have one year. Okay. And then on the other side today, or uh, not today, but uh, probably what, a week ago now as we record this, uh, from Serbia, Lazar, which was a total letdown. I thought it was going to be laser and I thought we were going for an all name team there, but we'll still, we'll still spell it that way. It's, it's Lazar Djokovic is what I was told today. I, I got on the phone with Tom Iser. I said, Tommy, I got to have a conversation here. I got no chance pronouncing these names. He sent us the pronunciation guide and I, I had him spell it out for me. It's Lazar Djokovic is at least what we're going with for now. He's not with the team yet. Still getting some visa things worked out until he can come over here and join the team in the States, hopefully next week. Um, but he he, uh, what a recruit, Rick! This late in the game, I I tweeted out earlier today as we record this, and that was why I was thinking the the recruiting was was today. This has now been about a week. Um, what a pickup for Xavier this late in the game. He both of these players are immediately eligible. They'll be able to contribute to this year's team if their ability translates to that, and I think they will. This Djokovic player from Serbia is unbelievable. Well, uh, yeah, a few, a few things uh, housekeeping-wise. You mentioned it, but I want to just reiterate it. We, you mentioned Gidis Namiksha is a transfer, and he may only yes. have one year of eligibility left. 
With Lazar Djokovic, it's a different situation. He's coming in as a freshman right now. Okay, so he's 19 years old. This is his first year of college basketball. Gidis has already played college basketball in Lithuania, uh, and he's played cl- or he's gone to college and he's played club basketball over in Lithuania. And uh, Lazar has been playing some club basketball in Serbia, but he has not gone to college yet. He is just at that age now where he'd be starting. So um, two different scenarios there in terms of their eligibility, where they're at in age and all of that. Um, and yeah, like you mentioned, they are both for this year's team. So they will be playing here come November. As soon as the season starts, they are available to play. And there's no reason to think there's anything holding either one of these guys back. This isn't like an NCAA clearinghouse situation where they have to be approved. They've already been approved. They've, they've signed their, uh, their financial aid papers and they are in. So these guys are going to be available right away for Xavier. And uh, I, I think the other part that we do have to mention is Gidis accounted for the 13th scholarship on Xavier's roster, which you get 13. That is the limit. And Lazar would be the 14th player. So they would be one over at that point. I've been told uh, it's they have a plan to work that out. I have not been given the details on how exactly that's going to work out. But uh, talking to some people behind the scenes, it sounds like it is going to be a situation where somebody's scholarship is paid for by NIL money. I don't know if that specifically is going to be Lazar Djokovic's scholarship or how that'll work since he is an international player, if it'll be hard to be able to give him that money through NIL or if it have to be someone else. We'll have to see how that all shakes down. But uh, as of yet, we don't have those details, but they are coming. Not that we need to spend a ton of time on that, but wouldn't it make sense if one of the currently scholarship players would come off a scholarship and get that NIL money so, to then allow an international player to get the scholarship? Isn't that how that would work? I'm understanding be, that but- right? But it could be, but there also are ways that I understand to get the international players paid NIL dollars too. So maybe they've already figured that out. I really don't know the details yet. I've talked to people about it. I've been given, like what I just told you guys, just a little bit of information and and been told that uh, it'll all come out soon. So got it. Um, So do do you want to start with Namiksha or do you want to start with Djokovic? Well, I say let's go with Namiksha because he committed first and because we got to see him play a little bit. He actually kind of unexpectedly got into that second game against Raw Talent Elite. I asked Sean Miller after that game, I said, how much has he actually been on the court with you guys prior to this? And he said, well, I mean, he got here basically on Thursday. Friday, he didn't practice with us because he was getting his physical and everything done. So I think he might have been with the team a little bit on Saturday as they had a practice. They left Sunday for the Bahamas, and then he was with them through their walkthroughs and whatever type of workouts practices they did in the Bahamas leading up to the games. But that's it. I mean, so in terms of like knowing their system or knowing what they were doing, he knew none of it. And he didn't play in that first game against University of Victoria, which was more like a real game. That was was actually pretty good competition. They weren't as talented as Xavier. They weren't as athletic as Xavier, but they were a real team. I think you mentioned as we were texting today, the broadcaster called them the UCLA of Canada. And if you look (laughs) at the success that they've had in Canadian hoops, they've been really good. They've uh, including last year, they were the number one seed going into that. Basically how they do it is they have uh, like a final eight tournament where they take the Elite Eight and kind of make it its new tournament. It's a double elimination bracket, and they're all seeded and everything like that. So they were the number one seed in that. They finished fourth overall in that top eight tournament they had at the end of the year. So it's a legitimate program, and I think you saw that throughout the game. Xavier built some big leads in that one, but then University of Victoria didn't go away. They had some answers. They had some structure to their system. They played like a real team. The second game against Raw Talent Elite, that one got out of hand so quickly. I mean, they were... Xavier's walk-ons would have been much better competition than Raw Talent Elite was. And I think John Miller looked at that about two or three minutes of that game and said, all right, let's just, let's go ahead and get Gitas in there. Let's get the walk-ons in there. Whoever Very raw, there. no talent. Very <laughs> raw, no talent. <laughs> yeah, it, it was ugly. So we did get to see Gitas play. And I don't know about you, Paul, but I saw a guy that probably not as big as I would have liked, or maybe I, I sort of thought when they first got the commitment from him, I thought, okay, this guy's going to be a front court piece. He's going to help them. He's a, he's a good rebounder. He's going to help them inside. And seeing him in person, it's like, well, he's not very big in terms of his physical stature. He's probably about, he's listed at 6'7". He's probably more like 6'6". I think that's the same thing for like Reed Ducharme. Those two guys both look to be about that 6'6 range, pretty thin. Um, so more of like a, a small forward size-wise that can maybe slide down and play the power forward position. Um, but I'll say this, for a guy who knew absolutely nothing of what they were doing, he seemed to fit in rather well. He was involved. He grabbed a couple of rebounds. And 
he had a couple nice players. There was one where he came down in transition, transition, made a nice one-handed bounce pass off the Dalen Swain, I think, for layup. And there was another one where he played a, a little transition ball, kind of got rid of it, and then relocated to the left wing, got a kickout pass, and knocked down a three from the left wing. So, I mean, I think I saw some things from him that were promising and gave me hope that he could be a, a rotation player right away. Well, I think at the very least, what you saw out of him was somebody who had played basketball at a decent level before is not somebody that's coming in as an 18 or 19 year old. And you're not sure he's rough around the edges. You're not really sure what the competition is that you've seen on film over there in Europe or what it's going to be like. He's somebody that's been around the block. It, it is a little hard to compare apples apples between the competition he's playing and then the competition he's going to face here at the Division One level. But at least what you saw was somebody that is going to be able to fit in and, like you said, earn some minutes here and there. Is Am I expecting him to come in here and just blow everybody away at the Centos Center right away two games in? No, I didn't necessarily get that impression right away. But again, the other thing is, what are you really reading into how who he was playing in the game in the Bahamas? Which is the, It's the same merry-go-round of a situation that we have when we're trying to watch this grainy film over there from Europe. So it's it's really hard, you know, until I'm able to go and see him in practice going against these Xavier bigs and everybody's healthy and, and you're getting practice, which to your point, I think you're spot on that sometimes you play these teams where sometimes even in a season where you feel like maybe the, the first five, the starting five could play better competition, just playing the next five guys on the team. So as far as Namiksha goes, at least you saw somebody where it was encouraging that you're not starting so far behind the eight ball that you're thinking, oh, no, what what's going on here? He, he's, he's at least productive. Outside of that, a few minutes in a game against this level of competition down in the Bahamas, I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. Yeah, we should use this disclaimer first because we're going to go ahead and break this rule a million times. But you really shouldn't take anything away from that second exhibition game against Raw Talent yeah. Elite. It was... I mean, less than nothing in terms of competition. So like you said, you really can't take anything away from it, but get ready for a whole podcast where we make observations from that game because that's what we came to do here. Rick, Rick, it's August. (laughs) What are you going to do, sit on our hands and not give takes? We got a game we got to talk about it, so why not? Let's give takes. Yeah, Yeah. that's that's exactly right. Well, I think think with Gitas too, one thing that I would say is the Djokovic commitment coming so soon after had that not happened had we not gotten the lazar Djokovic commitment i think we'd all probably be more excited about gitas and his immediate role on this team like for instance if we're thinking to start the year and i do not know this this is like you've read what i've said on the message board a million times about jerome hunter we just don't know yet but let's say if jerome hunter isn't available for the start of the season um and whether zach freeman is or not like you could see a situation where he could even start at the five potentially and that forward spot might be open. I think there's a, there's a realm in which we all could have seen Gita starting coming out of the Bahamas and given the uncertainty at the forward position, I think we could have said like, well, Gita's has a chance to be in the conversation for that extra spot in the starting lineup. Now that Djokovic has committed, I think everyone's like, I don't know. Like it, it seems like Gita's might be down a peg now because Admittedly, Lazar Djokovic's film is more impressive. He just he does look impressive, and he is a freshman. He's only nineteen. Gitas is twenty two. Gitas was playing in like the second highest level of Lithuania basketball, which, like you point out, it's, it's really hard for us to compare that to Division One college basketball in the United States. But with Lazar, Lazar Djokovic, it's not easy to compare the level that he was playing at in Serbia either. But the thing he did is he played in the FIBA nineteen U World Cup. And that's where all of our top prospects in America, we put a Team USA out there, they go and they play in the World Cup. Guess what? They finished third or fourth this year. Like, they didn't win it. So it gives you an idea that there is pretty legit competition out there, uh, in in the World Cup, I should say. And Lazar killed it in that. Like, he was one of the, the top prospects probably in that event. So that does give us kind of an idea where you can say, all right, well, some of the best prospects that are going to play at colleges this year were in this tournament. And they didn't look as good as he did. So if teams are excited about getting those guys, well, Xavier should probably be pretty excited about getting a guy like Lazar Djokovic. With switching jobs and everything last week, it was kind of a crazy week for me. So I spent today going back and watching as much of both games as I could and then watching as much film as I could get my hands on of Djokovic. And 
the more and more I watched of him, you know, going back and looking at your compilation that you put together from FIBA and some of his highlights from just elsewhere, anything I could find, really, the more and more I watched his court awareness, his IQ, his size and versatility was what really stuck out. Just his ability to to be down low in the post, but also step out and shoot his ability off the ball to just have awareness to say, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to give, I'm going to go. I can exploit this weakness. I can cut here. I can cut there for a 19 year old to play. Like he was playing. There were points where I could tell he was a little raw, but at the same time, you're going to be coached under Sean Miller, who, Oh, by the way, if you look at his pedigree of, of international prospects that he has turned into, you know, guys that have gone on to have great careers. I mean, this seems like, one, a natural fit for Sean Miller's offense and what he's trying to accomplish here. And two, you know, everybody wants to sit here and say that, you know, is this going to be a transition year for Xavier? Is Xavier going to have a down year? Look, I'm not going to pick Xavier to win the Big East this year. You know, John Rothstein kind of insinuated. I don't think the Rothstein tweet of him actually picking Xavier sixth. I think he worded that. I think he worded that wrong and everybody took it the wrong way. Go ahead. Yeah, Xavier. Let's like that. That was a bad moment for Xavier fans reading comprehension. Let's yeah. be honest about that. No, he was I, definitely I, was not saying Xavier was going to finish sixth. What his tweet said that a really good team in the Big East is going to finish sixth this year, and right. it was a tweet while he was watching the Xavier game. Yeah. Those were two but separate I that, thoughts. I think he said something nice about Xavier, and then said like one of the top six teams. It, it, you know, the sixth place team in the Big East is going to be a good team because there are clearly five good teams. And now I'm think I'm ready to put Xavier in that category as. A, a good team as well. So now you're up to six. So I don't think he's yeah. saying Xavier will be six. I'm thinking he's saying one of those teams that are pretty good is going to not be in the top five. And, and not to get too distracted by the by the Big East in the preseason, we can talk more about that if we want to. But you know, you're not picking Xavier over UConn. You're not picking Xavier over Creighton. You're not picking them over over uh, you know Marquette or any of those. You're not Xavier. Naturally, probably fits sixth or seventh in the Big East this year in the preseason poll. But that's not to say that, you know, St. John's, Rick Patino, are you going to pick this Xavier team over a St. John's, Rick Patino team? No, I don't, I don't think so. So then at the very end, you, you say to yourself, all right, that's, that's where you naturally fit. Anyway, point is, I think looking at what this team has and what they put together. Now, Zach Fremantle is a huge question mark. Jerome Hunter is a massive, massive question mark, but you add this commitment of Djokovic, who potentially, maybe, could be an immediate contributor to this team. And now all of a sudden, I'm starting to sit here watching this film and think to myself, look, I don't know if they're going to win the Big East this year, but I'm starting to think to myself that they're going to be a whole lot better than a lot of people are giving them credit for. Well, I think there's reason to think that. I, I also think going into this year, it feels like it should be a rebuilding year for Xavier. Just based on where their roster was at at the end of last season, what they've done to rebuild it. I mean, all the new faces, the fact that the four returning guys you had, only one of them is healthy right now and has been for most of your offseason here this summer. That That's a lot of moving parts to get them all to come together. So I completely understand why people have Xavier down the pet, you know, down the standings a little bit when it comes yeah. to Big East predictions going into this season. And we should probably talk a little bit more about that stuff as we get into like the how the roster looked and how they looked in these games. Let's finish up with Djokovic for sure. now. The thing that stood out to me the most when watching his film was, and if you go back like 18 months-ish, I saw some reports set calling like, oh, he's a six, seven, six, eight wing, right? And when you watch him now, and he's called a six ten center or six nine power forward or whatever he is, you can see very much that, well, he looks like a guy who was a wing a year and a half or two years ago. Right? Like the thing that stands out the most about him is when he puts the ball on the deck and has that first step between having a legitimately quick first step for a guy that big, but also having his length. I mean, he does, he covers a lot of ground when he makes that first move to the basket and he goes by guys like legitimate and he handles the ball well. So it's like he can go by you with a couple dribbles, but he can also take a couple dribbles, get you moving. And if you're a guy that can't change directions quickly, he can step back on you. He can cross over and and go to the other side. Like, I mean, he's got a lot of stuff to his game for a guy who's as tall as he is and has some of the skill that he has. So then you, you, the, like the, the European skill thing is there. The, the type of 
uh, stereotype we place on all of these international transfers coming over from Europe. He has. He can stretch the floor a little bit. He can shoot it. He's comfortable with the ball in his hands. He understands how to play a little bit. But then you go a little, another step or two farther than that. It's like, okay, that first step is interesting because it shows a little athleticism. He does dunk the ball a little bit around the rim and shows – uh, not he's not a leaper, but he's got some athleticism around the basket. Then one of the other things that was a little more subtle that it took me a while to find as I was watching this film, there was a play where he's trying to post a smaller guy up. I think it was uh, the Japan game in the U- Japan. U19 World Cup. Japan trying yeah. to post a smaller guy up who's battling. He doesn't get the ball. Ball goes to the opposite corner. Guy's about to shoot it from the opposite corner, and he just takes that guy who had gotten on the wrong side of him, and just just cards him with a nice little forearm, throws him out of bounds, grabs the rebound, gets an and one. That's the type of stuff especially if we're going to talk about like European international big man stereotypes, where it's usually like not the toughest guys in the world, skilled, want to stretch. You don't want to play inside. Those are the types of little subtle things that I want to see. Do you have some stuff to you? We'll put for it for a nice term. We usually use a different term in the States here, but uh, do you have some stuff to your game? And the other thing that I saw a couple of times where like where he's got positioning and, and maybe, Maybe the defender gets on the high side of him, so you can't get the ball into him on a direct pass from the wing or from the top of the key. Well, he'll he's fine with that. Okay, you're on the high side of me, great. Let me roll my hips a little bit, carve out some space, ride you up the lane, and then I'm going to catch this pass over the top for like a high-low action and then lay it in because he's got the length and, again, a little bit of athleticism to go up and get the ball over top of someone. And if he needs to use a little forearm to shove you out while he's, you know, like a wide receiver going up for a ball in the end zone on the fade route, like, He's got that stuff. He's got the subtle pushes and shoves and and toughness to get away with some of those things to clear some space and score around the basket. Those are some of the things that started getting me even more excited about his game. It's like, okay, yeah, the the highlight three, the highlight drive past a guy and dunk is really cool on film. But some of the other little things makes me think he can really fit in well with the way Sean Miller wants his bigs to play. Yeah, it's funny when you watch European style basketball like that and you see the really tall, lanky big man where you think of like a Victor Wembanyama, right? Where the guys are, they're so tall and they kind of lumber up and down the court and they don't look the most coordinated. But then all of a sudden they do some, whether it's a dunk, whether they're just getting out in transition, whether it's two dribbles from mid court, because that's just how long their legs are. And then all of a sudden they pull up from three. They just do things and operate differently than you normally see in the United States. But then when it comes over here and you're, you're thinking to yourself, okay, how does that translate? It generally, for the most part, can translate pretty well. And there's a reason that these guys end up coming over here and having as much success as they do and why guys like David Miller and Sean Miller want to go recruit them. And I, I, I think the whole international pool is fascinating to me of how they're identified, how they get recruited, how they eventually commit. That whole process to me of, of finding these guys and identifying that talent, whether it's whatever film that you have to work with and then hoping that you can secure that commitment and do it under the radar because you don't want somebody else finding out that you're recruiting that guy. I mean, that's how you get gems like this. That's how you steal a guy like this and then end up turning them into a program-defining player. Well, yeah. And, and, and now, okay. Well, I was just going to say their timeline is a little bit different over there a lot of times too, right? Because it's not like they're not necessarily in a college that's – ending their season or you're not graduating from your college in May or June. So there's a little bit different timeline in terms of what they're looking to do with their life. Whereas like our guys are kind of all on that same spring hits season ends, school ends. And then it's like, where am I going next? Or what's my next move? You kind of know it's all going to happen in a two, three week period with the way Xavier's able to get a guy of this caliber at the beginning of August is like you said, going that international route and finding a guy that people definitely knew about. Lazar Djokovic. He was not like some hidden prospect that no one had seen before because he played in this feeble World Cup. I think a lot of times what you find is a guy that maybe schools didn't necessarily know was coming over to the States, or maybe he hadn't made it real public that he wanted to come over to the States. He he had just, Xavier had made it clear to him that we've got a perfect situation for you. You could step in right away and, and contribute, that type of thing. Maybe that was the sell job from David Miller, Sean Miller, and the rest of the staff. I'm not exactly sure how this one played out, but to your point, that is how you find someone this valuable or this talented this late in the game, right before the season starts. All right. Do you want to talk any more about the recruitment of these two guys, or do you want to move on to, to more of the Bahamas? Yeah, I think we should probably move on to the Bahamas, but I would just okay. add that, you know, the the international piece is going to be a big thing for Xavier going forward. I had been talking about it so much on the message board. And I think people started to think, oh, that's just something that sounds nice. 
Like it, it was good for Sean Miller at Arizona, but they're not really doing that at Xavier because it hadn't happened yet. But I kept saying like, look, they are working the international routes. I don't have names to give you just because that's how this works. And unfortunately I don't have a bunch of contacts over there that I can call and be like, Hey, I know Xavier's recruiting these guys, but I'm not getting the names. Who is it? That's like in the States. I could do that in Serbia or in Lithuania. I can't do that. And I don't even necessarily know which country they're looking at when they're going to some of these events. So it is very difficult to get some of this information. So uh, I appreciate the patience on the message board for in terms of not being able to give all the details, but at least you guys did un- have an understanding of, hey, Xavier is definitely going to continue recruiting these international ranks and it- it's starting to pay off for them. You don't have any plugs in Lithuania? Well, I do don't now. have that on I, speed dial. I didn't as of three weeks ago, but I do have one now. I do have one. You do? You actually do? I have one scout in Lithuania now that I was hooked up with since the Gita's commitment. Yes. Anybody in Serbia? I do not have a Ser- not a Serbian specific scout, but I did have multiple scouts that knew of Lazar Djokovic just through the FIBA stuff. That's fantastic. It's good stuff. We're building our network. We're going international on the Monday yeah. Report podcast. I, I will say my network has grown fast over this summer because of the international stuff. I've talked to a lot of people that I didn't know existed six months <laughs> ago. All right, let's move on to the Bahamas. Um, the So Xavier wins 80 to 68 in the first. That was the final score, right? 80, 80 to 68. That's what yep. I had here. And then uh, Raw Talent Elite. 123 to 58. Probably don't need to spend too much time. We've already kind of hit on the Raw Town Elite game a little bit uh, because of Gitas. The UVic game, um, that gave you a, at least a, a better sense of what Xavier could look like against some stiffer competition. Uh, Rick, what were your takeaways? I had a few thoughts, but what were what were your takeaways from the UVic game? Yeah, just going big picture stuff here. I think something that really stood out to me was how fast this Xavier team is already playing on the offensive end. Now, some of that resulted in them turn the ball over 20 something times. That wasn't great, but a lot of those turnovers, I didn't even think were necessarily because they were trying to play fast. I thought some of it were because guys were doing things that either looked like they weren't, you know, like Dalen swing trying to cross over slowly in front of a defender and just get his pocket picked. Um, Desmond Claude threw like a couple weird passes in that game. There were some things that just seemed like almost careless errors and, and things that should definitely be cleaned up. But again, this is, a group of guys who haven't really played together that are uh, running out different lineups that they haven't used much at all in practice for the first time. So I'm willing to let a lot of the sloppiness go. I would say the, the fact that they're able to play so fast and they already seem to understand how to do that, especially Davion McKnight. Davion McKnight seemed really comfortable with how the system worked. When it was time to push it and go for his or go for a quick shot and throw the ball ahead, or when it was time to fly fly it up, probe a little bit, but then back it back out and get into the offense and run it, he seemed to have a great feel for that. And Even if, again, the second game was terrible, but he had like 10 assists, two turnovers, I think, in that second game. Really impressive stuff from a guy who is just starting to get into your offense a little bit, and you're telling him, hey, we want to go fast, 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 push the ball up the court as quickly as you can. He's doing that. He's listening to you, and he seems to have a good feel already for what you want out of him. I was really impressed with that from both Davion and the entire Xavier offense, the way they were able to fly up the court and play really quickly. Well, their decision-making was good, and their aggressiveness was really good. And we've talked so much in the last two years that Sean Miller wants to get guys that are tough, that can get to the foul line, right, that shoot a lot of free throws, stretch the game out at the foul line, and can score at the foul line. Thank God. We don't have a, a ton of people on the message board complaining about the free throw shooting because they shot the, the their free throws phenomenally well down there in the Bahamas. I think a lot of Xavier fans would probably whatever whatever they did down there in that ballroom, if we could just you know magically make that happen in the Big East, I think a lot of fans would be a, the message board would be Nirvana if that happened in the Big East. Yeah, definitely. And then to that point, like I think that is going to be something interesting to watch with the Xavier team because if you look at that first half against UVic, they only took four three pointers. They were one for four from three-point range. And I, I think that's too few. I think they want to shoot more threes than that. But that is part of who this team is. Like, if Trey Green isn't out on the floor, they're just – Quincy Oliveri is kind of the only shooter that they have out there. You know, he's the only guy that's, like, really looking to get quick threes up. The rest of the guys, there's a couple other ones, the Desmond Claw, Davion McKnight, that I feel could shoot it. Reed Descharm as he gets some more minutes. They, they can shoot it but they're not shooters at heart. Like that's not their mindset necessarily. So part of the interesting part about the Xavier offense is going to be one, how often do they get to the free throw line? As you're talking about, they got to shoot the free throws well, because they're going to get there a lot. It seems like, and two, I know Sean Miller is a big analytics guy. I know he loves Ken Palm and I know 
almost every college coach right now will tell you we want close twos, easy twos, like dunks and, and layups right at the rim, or we want three-point shots. We don't want a lot of tough mid-range jumpers or floaters or runners because it's an inefficient way to play basketball. But when you look at the Xavier team, it's like Davion McKnight is a great mid-range player. Desmond Claude looks like he's going to be a great mid-range player. You've got some of these big guys that are probably going to, you know, I don't know if they're going to score a lot in the mid-range, but can maybe shoot the mid-range jumper a little bit. Kachienze had a nice mid-range jumper in that in one of those games. So I'm curious to see how much they're going to play from the mid-range this year because that's something that you don't see a lot in today's college basketball game, but it seems like it really suits this team. Uh, to your point about taking more threes, I kind of wanted them to to take more threes too, just to open up the spacing on the floor. If you're going to drive that much, if you're going to see Trey Green, if you're going to see Oliver, if you're going to see McKnight especially, if you're going to see these guys get to the rim, they need space to be able to get to the rim. And even if you're not making all of your threes, even if this team doesn't shoot the ball as well as last year's team, right? Even if they're not going to go out there and make – 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 threes a game. I mean, if they're not going to go out there and do that, you still at least at some point got to take a few to keep the defense honest that you're going to be able to do that to stretch the floor, to open things up, to allow that space for those guys to drive. But still, in a game like this where you want to see the ability of some of these guys to, to be able to finish, to get to the rim, and can you convert? Trey Green liked what I saw to him. And what I really, really liked, that this is not reinventing the wheel here, but Desmond Claude looked like the real deal. He looked really, really good. Yeah, I thought Desmond's handle looked ridiculous. Yes. How tight his he, he handle looked, has gotten? He, 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 looked, he looked under control. He looked very poised. He knew when to attack, when to distribute. He knew when he wanted to attack, he knew what angle to go at. I, I just all those things combined about what he brought to the table in that UVic game. I just really liked his flow. And that's everything we've heard from people who have been inside workouts all this summer. Everyone's been like, Desmond Claude looks like the real deal. Best player in the gym most days. The few practices that I've been to leading up to this trip to the Bahamas – same exact thing. Desmond Claude has looked awesome. So this didn't catch anyone off guard. I don't think that he looked great, but it was fun to watch in person. Cause even in that first game, like he got an early foul trouble, which Sean kind of talked about after the game. He's like, he's gotta be smarter than that. And he also had like too many turnovers, quite honestly. And it got sloppy. It's like, if he eliminates that stuff, what a ridiculous performance he would have had in that first game. And it made it look so easy, you know? So I am anxious to see, what Desmond Claude looks like midway through this season. Cause I feel like he is going to fit into that Colby Jones role very well for this team. He can do a lot of the same things in the half court. You can put him in the same sort of position, same type of uh, spot in the offense, so to speak, and, and try to get him the same looks that you got Colby last year. And I think physically he's very similar handle wise. I think he's even better than Colby was shooting wise, probably not, where Colby was last year. He's probably still working his way up to get to that point, but I think it's in there eventually. I, I think he can do a lot of similar things to Colby Jones. I think that's really where this is headed for him and Xavier's offense. What other, you know, big picture takeaways? It, let, let's talk about the big men uh, a, a little bit. Akachienze, Abu Usman, what we saw to them, some of the rebounding, some of the putbacks that we saw. Logan Duncan got some good run in there as well. Uh, what, what were your thoughts on the front court? Because I know that's been a, a big topic of discussion. Yeah, on the message board, people have been really wringing their hands about the the play of the big men or the rumors of the play of the big men in summer workouts and practices. And um, I understand that. Like, definitely, I've heard the guards are ahead of the big. And what we saw in the Bahamas was exactly that. The, Davion McKnight looked good. Quincy Oliveri looked good. Desmond Claude looked really good. Even some of the backup guards, Trey Green, had some great moments off the bench. The front court, I thought, was okay. I, I didn't think they looked bad in the Bahamas, but I also think they didn't stand out against pretty bad competition. So that's a little bit concerning. They look a little stiff. Um, but Kachi Enze, or Enze, Enze he's, I, I listen to their pronunciations. If you go to Xavier's roster, they, they say it by themselves. You can click on a little ear next to their name so you can hear their pronunciation. So we've been calling Kashi Enze this whole time, like Z-A-Y. Um, if you listen to him, it, he pronounced it more like Kashi Enza. So like, I don't know exactly how it's said, but I'll try to correct myself as we go. So bear <laughs> with me on that. Um, but I thought he is clearly the 
best or most impressive out of the three big men right now. Even though he's only a freshman, I thought rebounding wise, he really goes and gets the ball out of his area. And defensively, he looked great. Offensively, I don't know that he's going to be able to give you much of anything off the bat, but in terms of the rebounding and defense, I think right now he is their best big man. I had the same impression. It was tough to get a read on on Logan Duncombe just because I felt like some of his sequences were kind of awkward. Some of the, when he was coming down the court, I I didn't feel like it was maybe the best. uh, I didn't feel like it was the best takeaway for him just in the way that he was out there on the court. So I think with Logan, he does not look the part, right? Like he he's just not going to stand out. His athleticism isn't plus. He his size isn't great overall. Like he's not a lot bigger than guys, not a lot longer, not a lot more athletic. So when you watch him on the court, he does not stand out. He does not necessarily look the part. But something I have seen from him a little bit, and there are some moments like this in the uh, University of Victoria game. Sometimes being the best for your team is just making the fewest amount of mistakes, right? Like some of Xavier's backup big men last year could have learned from that. Like just go on the floor and be solid in what you're being asked to do. You don't have to do anything that stands out. Just don't screw it up while you're out there. Don't miss the block out that leads the other team getting a rebound. Don't miss the defensive assignment. I thought there were some things Logan Dunkham did both in the practice leading up that I saw and while they're in the Bahamas where it's like, well, he doesn't stand out. He doesn't give you a lot extra, but some of these other guys are missing things. They're not doing things right. And they're like, they're, there's an interesting, uh, interesting moment, in the university of Victoria game where he's kind of under the basket, not in great position, but he really boxed out hard ends up getting over the back call on a guy. And it's like, or, or off or, a, you know, a rebounding foul on the guy. I'm not really an over the back call, but um, I just think it's some of those things like that, that may give Logan a chance. If he's just really solid in his role, he's not going to look the part necessarily. And I think, you know, like, Abu Uzman is a better defender than him. And I think Kachienze is certainly a much better athlete and overall talent than him right now. But if he's just really solid, he's in the mix. And I don't think there's a clear leader in this battle in the front court right now. So um, right, it's that's going to be one of the more interesting things to watch leading up to the start of the season is I don't really think anything is set in the front court just yet. I think all of those guys could kind of play their way in or out of more minutes as things currently stand. Yeah, totally agree. Um, any other takeaways, Rick? I know you had a bunch well, of thoughts on the Bahamas. So what else do you want to get let's into? Let's talk about the freshman class real quick. So we've talked yeah. a, a bit already. Um, who was the most impressive out of the freshmen to you? I liked what I saw in limited time. And again, I, I tried to go back and make some notes as much as I could. I, I liked what I saw limited time out of Dalen Swain. I, I thought he just looked kind of under control in a couple of different sequences there. I don't know how much you're going to get out of him right away, but I thought at least he wasn't as far behind the eight balls. I guess I was maybe, I, I don't know that it's hard to, it's hard to say that, but when I haven't seen anything, right. I, I you, you've been to the practices. I haven't seen the practices at all. I, this was my first opportunity to watch any of these guys. Um, I, you know, I, I'm trying to go back and think if there were any, if they're Trey Green is the obvious answer, right? I, okay, I, I yeah, think Trey, I, I think Trey's what he was, what he did um, offensively, like getting to the rim, knowing where he was supposed to be on the floor, his ability to shoot, being aggressive, getting to the foul line. Trey, far and away, w- w- was the obvious answer here. He's somebody that you can tell. In fact, I texted, uh, I texted somebody right away. I, I was a half in. And I texted somebody and I said that, yeah, this, this, this Trey Green guy is, he's the real deal. And there was, there was no doubt about that. So I've loved Trey Green's game. I have not made any bones about that when talking about him on the message board or the site after he committed. I've loved his game. Now, there are definitely concerns when you're bringing in like a five, 10, he's listed at six foot. He's definitely not six foot. He's not. Yeah, five, 10 point guard or whatever he is, there are going to be concerns. And I have concerns about his defense. He doesn't stay in front of people all that well. And, just his lack of size is going to be a problem. But the, sometimes it's just a guy's makeup that you know it's going to work out for him. Like the skill set and the athleticism, all that is great. You got to have it. But 
sometimes the makeup is what you really need to see. And Trey Green is just one of those guys where it's like he never stops coming at you. He thinks he's the best player on the floor. He's going to shoot it every time you give him a little bit of space. Like he checked into that first game against University of Victoria. The first possession on the court, he brings the ball up the court as the point guard, dishes it off, relocates, goes off a flare screen, catches it, takes a step in, shoots a mid-range jumper and swishes it. And like, a, you know, in the second half, one of his first, few possessions in the game he comes down he's on the right side he gets a ball screen from logan duncan the defender guarding him goes underneath of it he starts to he starts to go into the offense like okay i'm just gonna go around wait a second did that guy just go under the screen hold on a second let me step back from like 25 here and just bury this three now that's what i love about trey green is just extreme confidence if you give him any room He's going to attack you and use it against you. And he doesn't back down. He has toughness. Again, not great defensively, but at least he's going to give you effort and toughness on the defensive end. And so I think Trey Green is is their most impressive freshman. And certainly in the Bahamas, I thought he lived up to that with his microwave scoring ability. And as I already talked about, Quincy Oliveri is your only shooter in the starting lineup if you use the starting lineup that you used in the Bahamas. So having Trey Green to bring in off the bench is going to be something that I think this team needs right away. Yeah, Trey Green is going to be special in a Xavier uniform. I think you can mark that down. And and he's going to be very fun to watch, too. He, he's not somebody that's, you know, necessarily a grinder. And, and he's he is he is going to go out there and be a fun basketball player to watch night in and night out. Well, and you see a lot of guys like this in college basketball. The smaller point guard who can just boogie with the ball, right? Break you down off the dribble, call their own number, hit those crazy tough shots, lead the game at the end. I mean, to extent, kind of like a two Holloway type player, right? He didn't have that quickness, the water bug aspect to him, but he was kind of like that guy that you put the ball in his hands. You didn't necessarily have to call play for him. He was just a dog and he'd go make something happen for you. And there's been so many guys like that in college basketball, but when is the last time Xavier, had that at the point guard position. When's the last time Xavier had a point guard who could knock down the three consistently and who could just go make his own shot out of nothing, just go create offense. Yeah. I, right. Really? I like, honestly, I don't know. Well, what the, maybe two Holloway, right? Well, Sule, Sule boom did a decent job last year of, of shooting and spacing the floor, but not in the same sense that Trey green can go out there and do it yeah. now. Well, I, I think so. I think Sule boom is the, the right. I mean, I was talking more before Sean Miller. You're right about Sule Boom, but but yes, yeah. I like I, I think Sule Boom is is similar to Trey Green in a lot of ways. So that's that's a pretty good comparison. But it's like going back before the Sean Miller era. Oh, sorry, you got it. You kind of cut out and from my side. So if you said that, my, no, 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 I, I didn't say that. Okay. But I but I, I was okay. just thinking like they haven't really recruited a point guard. You know, they, they brought in Sule as a transfer, but like in terms of recruits and guys that have come up through the program, who is the last guard they brought in that was kind of like that they got to see develop? And it's like. You know, there there are some opportunities that that maybe like a, a Quentin Gooden you thought might have turned into that or something, but it just hasn't really materialized for them in a long time where they've had like that type of player. And I think Trey Green is that type of guy. So I'm I'm really excited about watching him develop. Uh so the the second most impressive guy, I think, is the most fun part here because had you asked me that question going into the offseason or even after watching practices leading up to the Bahamas on Friday or Saturday, had you asked me who is the second most impressive freshman after Trey Green, I would have probably said Dalen Swain. And definitely after watching practice for a few days, I would have said Dalen Swain because he looked really impressive, looked really good in practice. He did not play very well down in the Bahamas. So I don't, I'm not like, ready to knock him down a peg and be like, oh, Dalen Swain's going to struggle or anything like that. I'm not reading too much into that. I still think Dalen Swain probably has the highest upside out of any of the freshmen right now, except for maybe Lazar Djokovic. We can talk about that more. But like out of the guys who were already committed in the original class, Dalen Swain probably had the highest upside. Didn't play all that well in the Bahamas. I think right now, if you're asking me who I'm most confident in, that, that they will work out out of the freshmen right now. I go Trey Green and then I go Kashi. Like, I just think his size, length, athleticism, and the way he plays, which is all out, runs the floor hard, and really rebounds out of his area, that almost always works. Like, I mean, he might be limited on the offensive end. We'll see how he develops in that regard. But what he can do, I think, already works at the high major level. So I would say Kachi is kind of my, maybe my revelation from the Bahamas as the second most impressive freshman. Yeah, I thought going back and watching 
like I said, when when you asked me who was the most impressive, and I and I was talking about Dalen Swain, I, I thought he had a couple of sequences where you could at least see like the flash in the pan, right? Where you could see, okay, there's something there. Yep. But as far as consistency over the course of an entire game, I can't agree with you more. That it, it, how encouraging is it too that you're seeing it both out on the perimeter and Trey Green, and then in the post and Enze too, where you're getting that dynamic. Where we're not sitting here and saying, "Oh man, Xavier has so much talent outside," but it's going to be a log jam because they have four perimeter players, and where, where are you going to get all those guys in? Now all of a sudden you have somebody who. We weren't really sure what to expect out of Kashi, right? We, right? we He committed, didn't have a whole lot of fanfare when he committed, and now all of a sudden he's on the team and he goes in practice and, and now in a game where you know, you've talked about him and said he can go out there and produce and he's looked apart. I feel like we know more about Lazar Djokovic coming in than we did about Kashi Enze when he committed. I'm being dead serious. There was like no film of Kashi. There was nothing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and like I barely saw him play. So I had very low expect not I shouldn't say low expectations. I had no expectations. I, I didn't know what to expect from him at all. I would say he's completely exceeded whatever I thought he was going to be. Rick, the one guy that we haven't talked a ton about here, you mentioned his name real quick, but any thoughts on Reed Ducharme? Yeah, you know, that's an interesting one because again, we're mentioned all these other guys. So it's like, okay, well, is Reed the least impressed? And it's like well, Reed scored 17 points in that second game. And again, against raw talent, elite, whatever. But I don't care. Anytime a freshman comes in and one of his first couple of exhibition games, he puts up 17 points. He only misses two of his shots and knocks down a couple of threes, gets in the mix. See, the thing about Reed Ducharme is a lot of people call him a shooter. And I've always said he's more, I don't want to use this name because people think so highly of him, but he's more J.P. Makira in terms of his game than he is like spot-up shooter. You know, he's more of like uh hit the ball, knock it loose, dive on the floor, foul you but doesn't get called for it, flops a little bit, like shows some toughness, all those types of things. That's more who he is. That's where his value comes in, more so than in him knocking down six threes in a game or something like that. So while I think he can shoot and he's a streaky shooter that can get hot from the outside, I think his overall value comes in some of the other stuff. So to see him score like that and shoot it pretty well like that um, is interesting because, again, it's like when you're looking at this freshman class now, we're talking about five guys here. And if you made an argument about any of the five and said, I think they're going to be a really good player in the Big East one day, I don't really have much to argue against there. Like, yeah, there's still some there's still a lot to be proven by all these guys. I don't I'm not ready to talk about what an epic class this is or anything. They've got a lot to prove. But at the same time, it really looks to have some depth because all these guys look capable at the moment. Sure. Um, all right, let's let's move on now and talk. Uh, Xavier has a couple of secret scrimmages that they'll play this year. They got to play Notre Dame. They're going to play Kent State. The Notre Dame is the uh, the Brian Snow special, so we'll be all over that one, right? Yeah, of course. I mean, uh, it'll probably be really hard to get information there because every, here's the problem with that: everyone will assume it's coming from Snow if I get something. So. It absolutely won't be able to come from Snow if I do get something. And I'll probably have to go through like extra layers because Snow will be telling people not to tell me stuff. So I, it, that will be actually more difficult to get information from than most scrimmages would be, I think. But I'll also give you guys this. Notre Dame is going to stink this year. They're they going lost, to be really bad. They, they lost something like, what, 97% of their scoring? Yeah. And, and it, the, the thing that I give them credit for is instead of going out and doing what a lot of staffs do in this day and age and being like, Let's find all the mercenaries we can find. Get this one-year guy that has a bunch of baggage to help us because we don't have any talent. And get this freshman who no one who was committed to three other schools first, but now he's available because God knows why. Let's try to bring him in because he's a top 100 talent. And let, let's see what we have. They're not doing that. They're like, no, let's build this program the way we built the last program and go from there. And, and they're doing that well. They've got a great recruiting class coming in next year. So uh, they'll, they'll get that on track, I think. But it's going to take a little time. and And that scrimmage when you've got Xavier bringing in 18 new faces or whatever it is and Notre Dame bringing in 18 new faces and and not a lot of talent that scrimmage could be incredibly sloppy and then Kent State you know Kent State has put together some decent teams here in in the last few years and they're not a not a bad mid-major we've seen them have some success so uh any any thoughts on Kent State or, or what we might be able to see out of that one 
No, I think that's just a real, like you said, a really good game for them to play. Kent State has been so consistently good um, of late. They've they've had a, a good run here of talent, and they've put together some good seasons. So I don't know exactly how good they're going to be this year, but I like having teams like that that expect to be good and that have been winning and feel like they're playing for something. I think those are always good games because like Kent State's coming into the scrimmage feeling like they've got something to prove, feeling like it's an opportunity for them. Those are fun scrimmages for a team like Kent State to play. And because of that, I think it makes it a good scrimmage for Xavier to play. Sure. Uh, all right. A few housekeeping notes here before we we uh, wrap up this show, because we've gone on for almost an hour now. Um, Trayvon Blewett, JP Makura, both going to be inducted or, well, were selected and will be inducted this upcoming season into the Xavier Athletic Hall of Fame. Great, great to see both of them go in at the same time. I think that's a lot of fun. They got to be there because that was right over the TBT uh, week that they were, you know, that that announcement came out. Great. Congratulations to both of them. And that'll be a very fun reunion this year when when they both hopefully are able to make it back for that weekend. Yeah, that's what I was. That's what I was curious about from the fans perspective. Did you were you excited about the fact that they put them both in first ballot and did it together? As opposed to like I think staggering that, them or putting Trayvon like in sooner. I think that means something to both of them because if you look at what they accomplished and both being on the the first team to be a number one seed and win the Big East and all that and, and those two guys are so synonymous with each other. Like when you think Trayvon, you think JP, vice versa from those teams. That for both of them to go in at the same time, I I, I think that. Uh, you know, I would have hated, I don't know if anybody would have done this, but I would have hated if, you know, Trayvon got in and then JP got in three years later or or, or even vice versa, depending on how, because so, sometimes too, I, I don't know this for a fact, but doesn't sometimes scheduling, I don't know if, did I hear that, that, that sometimes yeah. it's scheduling that, you know, if, if somebody, if, if somebody know, let's, let's put it this way. If they know for a fact, for a stone cold fact that a player is not going to get in for a year, I don't know this for a hundred percent, but I'm pretty sure that they would rather wait a year to put them in than to force them in. And then maybe they don't get back for that weekend or whatever it might be. Yeah. Well, like, so the reason that came up is because they had mentioned that both of these two were the first, first ballot hall of famers at Xavier since Brian Grant back in, what would that have been like 94 or something or a little bit after like 99, maybe whatever. So, um, That that actually ended up not being true because Lenny Brown did get it. You know, they're trying to get the information out there quick so Sean could say it to these guys as he inducted them. And so I think they missed end up missing Lenny Brown. But people were saying like, well, what about David West? How was he not a first ballot Hall of Famer? And the answer to that was what you just pointed to. It's that uh, he wasn't going to be able to make it back that first, you know, after five years, you're eligible to get in. He wasn't going to be able to make it back and they wanted to have him there in person. And that's probably happened with another like, one or two guys, I think, where they wanted to have him. He wasn't able to make it back that fifth year, so they waited a year or two so he could be there in person. And, and sometimes things come up where the guys can't make it. I think, uh, who was it last year? I, I can't even remember who it was that it, his parents, um, oh man, this is bad. I, I'm thinking on the spot, but whoever whoever the basketball player, one it wasn't of the basketball two, players, was, was it? No, I don't. Was it, mm, I don't, was it Josh Duncan? Oh, I think it was Josh Duncan. I think you're was right. Was it Josh Duncan? And it could be I think his it was his his mom and dad, I think, went out and accepted it last year. So sometimes you see that where at the you know at the last minute or whatever they, they can't make it. But if if somebody knows for a fact that the, you know their season conflicts or whatever, they're playing internationally, they can't come back, whatever it might be, that they might wait. All that is to say that it's nice to see Trayvon and JP that the schedules work out, that they are able to both get in at the same time and and to do this. So congratulations to both of them. Speaking of that, it was TBT week. Xavier won the first game. Look, they looked dead. Then they weren't dead or zip them up. I should say they looked dead. They weren't dead. They beat the Georgia Kings. That, that like four minute stretch, you and I were texting back and forth during that four minute stretch. Cause that was right around uh, what, you know, when, when you were, you were about to be a father at that point or you had just was had had trade just been born you were like right in that window no it was right beforehand uh, yeah it was right beforehand so you and i were texting back and forth and i was thinking to myself "Uh oh this you know zip them up like this isn't a good look then all of a sudden it was a great look it was probably the most fun that the tbt had been in the three years of its existence that that elam ending where it they took rick carter took a timeout with 
wh- however much time left. They go into the Elam ending, and then it was it was like all of a sudden they all just looked at each other and said, "All right, well, I guess we I guess we want to win this game. All right, guys, I, gu- I guess we're gonna do this." And then all of a sudden, because that the other team didn't eat Georgia, wh- whatever they were, the Georgia Kings. Yeah, they, the one basket that they got was because the ball ended up at somebody's feet and he just laid it in. I mean, it was. It, it, they could have easily held them scoreless for that whole time. And, and, and Cintas was incredible. That was a lot of fun. That five to 10 minute stretch was a lot of fun that night. Everybody involved at Xavier and zip them up needs to like send the Georgia Kings team, like a couple bottles of champagne or something. Cause I've never seen a team roll over and die like that for a hometown <laughs> crowd. Like Georgia, it's just like, we're done playing. We don't want to come back tomorrow, whatever. Like you guys could have it. Cause I, that was unbelievable how they just stopped. It was just like they couldn't do anything right. Couldn't possibly what they need, like two more baskets to win the game for seven minutes or something. I mean, it was it was incredible the way it finished yeah. off there. So uh, that that was great. But I guess the real question is, where do we stand with TBT now? Because this was this like I love Cap. We love seeing these guys come back. It's fun for everybody, I think. But this was disappointing. The fact that they felt like they had a good team again. They were at home again. The, let's face it, the bracket was set up for them to advance to the finals in this region, and they weren't able to get it done. You lose to UC in, in that game. What like, Where do you think Zip Em Up is at now from a fan momentum standpoint? Do you think people are still into this? Do you think it returns, or do you think we've kind of it's kind of ran its course? Well, here, here, here's my thinking on it, is I think the roster construction going forward – I'm curious to see how those guys evaluate the roster construction because on paper, you see all the names and you think to yourself, okay, you're going to get a bunch of guys that on paper sound really good. It sounds like that is a good team. But then all of a sudden when you think you're going to have Kaiser Gates and then he backs out at the last minute because of whatever conflict he had and JP Makura is hurt and he's only he can only play a few minutes in the first game and you all of a sudden have two guys that you're hoping are going to be major contributors to your team that aren't a factor. And then you have to count on some other guys. And then you, you, you may, you have a ton of guys that you want to get in because they traveled all that way to be there. So you don't want to just totally sit them on the bench, but then you got to rotate throughs and it's a huge team. You see some of these teams that have, you know, seven, eight guys. It's a massive team. So you have all these bodies that you have to play. I, I think roster construction wise. And then, the other thing too is just just to see what the what the buy in is from the players going forward because it yeah. it to me the 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 TBT to me is won by simply by teams that care because you can tell with about 10, 10 minutes into the game you can tell pretty quickly who wants to win and who cares and who doesn't because some teams will go out there you know that they're just there because like um there was a team that was playing. Uh, 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 I forget somebody. One of the teams that was earlier in the day at Centos because I was there for the whole regional. I, I, I saw every game. One of the teams, um, Dominique Rogers Cromartie's team. Yeah, you could tell that he just wanted to play basketball, and he got a bunch of guys together. They went out there. They lost the first game, but like he just wanted to play basketball in a nice arena. It felt like and go out there and play and get things together. And then there were teams like UC last year. Nasty Natty, they didn't care at all last year. They looked apathetic. They didn't care. It was like they just did it because Xavier had a team, and so UC might as well have a team, and let's get some fans together. But they didn't take it seriously at all. This year it was way different. They did take it seriously. And that's where you say, and, and that's I'm not necessarily going to sit here and like accuse Xavier of not taking it seriously. But, but when you have roster construction where – not all of the guys maybe fit together the best. Now, next year, you're going to have to go out there and say, if we're going to do this the right way, you need to get a bunch of guys that are going to play. I, you know, I know Jalen Reynolds is is the white whale that everybody wants to play. Two Holloway is the white whale that everybody wants to play. There are also a lot of factors to getting those guys to play. So that's that's where, to me, it sounds great to get you know all these Xavier legends onto one team, but then hoping that they're just as good as they were when they were seniors and that all of a sudden they're going to be that good again and that, oh, by the way, they're going to fit that well together. 
does that does that box get checked going forward? I know that TBT was happy with the Xavier turnout and like what the regional looked like. So I don't know as far as hosting goes. You know, I don't know if it'll be back. That's way not in my department. But as far as the future for TBT goes, at Xavier, that's a long winded way of saying that I think Xavier and its players and zip them up can be good if they get the full buy-in of the players and guys that really want to be there, they just need to do that. Yeah. And look, I, you know, I'm not, I don't want to accuse anyone of not trying or not playing hard because that's you know kind of offensive to do. Those can be fighting words sometimes if you're uh, going to say that about someone, but your point about the teams who care doing well in this thing. And it's not necessarily about that. They needed to win the games. It's, looking like you care to all these fans who are coming out and like, let's face it, it's kind of a, a BS thing. They're putting their time. They're putting their money into it. Some of these fans are even donating to like getting these players travel in here and to stay here. It's a big them. cost, right? Yeah. It costs a lot of money and it does cost time and appreciation and, and loyalty from these fans. It's like, if they're going to pour that into them, you have to give them everything. And then some in terms of your effort and, I hate to say it, but in both games, TV, uh, Zip Em Up didn't do that. Like, there were moments throughout those games where the guys just looked like they didn't care. It looked like they were quitting. It looked like, you know, there was a moment where someone didn't chase a loose ball that was rolling right past them. Their men's were there taking stupid shots and just like acting like the game's over when it's getting out of hand a little bit. It's like, those are the types of things that I understand it's pickup basketball and it's kind of a nonsensical tournament, but like, those are the things that makes it tough to watch from a fan base that's trying to get behind this and support it and fund it. I'm wondering how much enthusiasm and momentum there will continue to be after that type of display. So again, I, I love cap. I know he's put a ton of time into this and I, I hope it goes well. I want to support these guys, but like God, also kind of be honest about what we saw out there. I'm just curious about where it goes from here. And I, I could definitely see it continuing. And I, I think the Xavier fans are definitely into it, but you know, it's, it's a tough thing. Well, and that's and that's where I feel for a guy like like Cap, who and you know I, I'm sure Cap is listening to this right now. Where you have guys behind the scenes, you know, you have separate trainers that come in and and take care of this. A lot of these teams have coaches, you know, like Rick Carter and some of the coaching staff. I, I know there a lot of these teams have coaches that come in. There are a lot of people behind the scenes, like Cap and and these guys that invest a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of resources a lot of what you were just talking about, who truly care a lot. And to be quite honest, if you put together a team that wins, you're getting a pretty decent financial cut of that too. So there is a light at the end of the tunnel. There is a reward there for that. And as far as whatever it looks like into the future, you know, you just hope for for these guys that put in all of those, whether it's time, money, whatever it is, effort, energy, whoever it is behind the scenes like cap and the trainers and the, and the, the, whoever it is that, that are behind the scenes, putting this together, you just want the on-court product to feel like it reflects what the off the court product is. And going forward, how they do that, what it looks like in the future. I don't know. That's not my department. I don't know where Sule boom and Jack Nungy will be in their careers this time a year from now or two years from now, but those are two guys that I'd be targeting heavily to try to get on the roster. I feel like they'd be great additions to, to zip them up. Yeah. Um, and, and speaking of them, just a, la- a couple last notes that we had here in our outline. Rick, uh, Colby. Colby Jones signed a four-year deal with the King. Great deal for him. Yeah, two year, two years guaranteed. That's the big thing. It's like he signed a first-round deal, even though he got drafted at the beginning of the second round. He basically signed a first-round deal with them, getting those two years guaranteed. That is awesome for him. Jack Nungy signed a contract to play in Italy. Sule Boom uh, got a training camp deal with the Nuggets. And then Paul Scruggs. Good to see Scruggs. This just got announced uh, last week, I think. Scruggs is going to uh, play in Poland. So he signed. He's He's gone. I saw, I think he posted on an Instagram yesterday, the day before, that um, he, he was traveling over there overseas to start playing. And after everything he'd been through, hey, being a TBT and, and and for Xavier fans to be able to see him, to be out there to play again after he tore his ACL against Florida in the NIT there last year, that's a big, you know, full circle moment for him. So good for good for Paul and, and good for him to be able to be able to get back out there and play. Yeah, it's just it's just great that he's 
playing competitive basketball again that that route going through professional ball in Poland and trying to work his way back to a bigger league that's going to be a tough one for him and and quite honestly like it seemed like he was struggling a little bit out there in in TBT with it being his first live action since he had his injury so he's got a long road ahead of him definitely but it's just great to see him back on the floor and playing again uh Rick any other notes before we sign off here we've just gone over an hour so any anything else No, I I think that's good for this one, Paul. We'll have plenty of stuff on the message board coming up. More uh, takeaways from the Bahamas, more stuff on the new guys that the team has added. We've got some interesting video stuff to come here this offseason that I'm working on right now. And uh, obviously more recruiting stuff for 2024. The next month plus is going to be really big for 2024. I put up a hot board like uh, two weeks ago. So there's plenty of information on the top targets right now. If you if you check out the 2024 hot board, that is pretty much where things are at right now in terms of their top targets. Not much has changed since I posted that. So if you go back through that, kind of look at all those names, that'll give you a good idea of where things stand in the 2024 recruiting class. And uh, ask me questions on the message board. I'll be happy to answer them. Any subscription deals, anything for people to know about subscribing to the site? How, how do we help Trey out? Uh, yeah, well, we did, we had a big 75% off sale. I know a lot of you took advantage of that. Um, if, if you did, thank you, first of all. If you haven't, there are always new deals at different points throughout the season. We oftentimes do one around uh, Cyber Monday, so we'll have that coming back. But uh, it's always $1 to try it out if you just want to give the site a try. Uh, start for $1, you get your first month, and you can see if you like it, and we'll go from there. I think a lot of people feel like they get a a lot of value out of it because we don't really have many people that cancel their subscriptions after they try it out. So give us a try, and and hopefully you'll like it. Uh, And the last thing on my end, I I meant to mention this in the beginning, but only because I had a a couple of tweets about it last week. Um, The the rebound rundown, I I did make a deal with Chatterbox on my my exit from that last week. So the rebound rundown will continue in hopefully the exact same format uh, this year. I do have to change a couple of things on the back end. But as far as what you guys listen to on the front end, it'll be... As far as I'm planning right now, exactly the same as what you guys heard last year. I think uh, teams-wise, though, Rick, I, I'm cutting Wright State. I'm cutting Dayton. I'm cutting Louisville. And I'm, cut, I'm cutting Miami. I'm cutting, I'm cutting those four. So it'll be Xavier, Xavier, UC, NKU, and UK. Unless the you think I spoken. should keep – unless you think I should keep – see, here's what I was thinking. Do I keep Dayton in there only because Xavier and UC people care about, like, generally knowing how Dayton is doing? Or because I'm not drawing many Dayton fans. Like, do do people care to hear how Dayton is doing? I guess that's my question. I guess people can respond. I personally do not think that they do. Um, But if you think they do, or if other fans tell you that they do, then by all means, go ahead and do that. I only care about one school getting canceled from that list. And as long as you're not bringing back right state, I'm fine. (laughs) Right state. No, the the juice was not worth the squeeze on bringing back right state. So Although it was always glorious when I knew you had to do a right state NKU recap and NKU. (laughs) (laughs) That that is true. Yeah. So if anybody else, I mean, look, we got three months there, but if anybody had anything that they wanted to hear, like I can workshop it and do anything differently this season, always looking for ideas. But I did want to mention that only because I had a couple of tweets on it. Rick, congrats again on being a dad. Uh, best of luck with the sleep schedule and everything else. And uh, I'm sure we'll be potting soon as we get more into the off season, maybe get to some more practices, get to see some things here in the next few weeks. We didn't even really, you, you touched on it a second ago, but 2024, we didn't even really get into the hot board or, or much of anything with that. So um, let, let's just, let's just table that and come back to that when we have the, when we have the chance here in the next few weeks and do another off season pod. Great to talk to you, Rick. And uh, we'll talk again soon. Thanks for listening everybody.